From Northern California Public Media, welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. This time, firing forests to save them. Could Native American traditions protect land and lives? When we imagined a podcast about environmental justice, it was before the Tubbs fire here in Sonoma County and the deadly fire seasons of 2017 and 2018. Even so, we wouldn't have thought of Indians and their relationship to fire as a matter of environmental justice. But producers Allison Herrera and Deborah Utasia Kroll have a different viewpoint. They're members of a Western tribe and see the increasingly destructive fires in Northern California as a matter of the Anglo society, forgetting lessons that Native Americans have known for millennia. Fire, they say, can be an important, even necessary part of the landscape. Fire helps clear habitat for animals and space for plants. And smaller fires can allow us to avoid the cataclysmic fires that leveled neighborhoods in Santa Rosa and the surrounding communities, especially in the past two years. Herrera and Kroll say Indian traditions once protected these lands and could do so again. Allison Herrera brings us the story. It's a chilly morning in mid-April, but journalist Deborah Kroll has the windows rolled down as she drives and points out the number of trees lost and structures damaged during last year's wildfire that ripped through Santa Rosa. There's entire hillsides that were completely burned. All the manzanita, all the pine trees. Kroll and I are making our way up to Pepperwood Preserve, 3,200 acres of rolling hills just east of Santa Rosa. It contains oak groves, mixed conifer forests, and grasslands. It's a beautiful drive, despite the burned out sites we see on our way up. The houses that were burned have all been cleared away, and there's a lot of evidence of construction going on. Kroll isn't a biologist or a fire scientist, but a member of the Holon Salinan tribe. She grew up around fire. She knows it can hurt and devastate the land, cities, and towns. But she also knows about the good things it can do, like keep small fires from becoming cataclysmic. The tribe believes that clearing up the land with fire may be the best defense against it. The Salinan aren't the only indigenous tribe in California who believe that fire can help the land. It's other tribes, too. As we wind our way up, we see homes that were spared from the Tubbs fire across the street from those burned to the ground. It's a terrible sight. Homes and lives were lost. Some here in the community say it didn't have to be this way. I'm talking about the people who lived in this area dating back 10,000 years. The Pomo. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. And you? Great. I'm Good. so happy to meet you. Thanks so much for taking time to well, talk with us today. We're off to a good start. At I... least you're happy to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> That's Clint McKay, his wife Lucy, and Ben Benson, who works at Pepperwood Nature Preserve, where we're meeting them. 
McKay is a citizen of the Dry Creek Band of Pomo, and he's been educating people on Native culture, including fire, for decades. You know, we've seen what's, what seven generations of neglect could do, and so now we have, we've been given another opportunity. So I'll be curious to see where we go from here and what the next seven generations show. He's talking about what happens when you don't burn, what he calls duff. It's the dead stuff. Weeds, grass, chaparral. It's all part of keeping things cleaned up, not managed. Basically what they've asked us to do here is is provide some insight to the native way of working with the land. And I say working with the land, I don't uh, particularly like the term land management. Management to me means that you're controlling something. And um, we certainly don't have the ability or I believe the right to try to control nature. So we work with it. When you don't work with it, it can get out of control and can be fuel for deadly wildfires, like this year's car fire in Redding and last year's Tubbs fire. McKay is the cultural consultant and Native American Advisory Committee chair at Pepperwood Preserve. He also works full-time for the city of Santa Rosa and helps get artifacts and sacred items back into tribal hands, like baskets. McKay's aunt is Mabel McKay a well-known and well-respected basket maker. Basket making is in his DNA. It's just one of the reasons why he wants to educate people about the good things fire can do. It keeps future fires from getting out of control, yes, but you might not consider that it helps keep their basket making traditions alive. You wanna go to Redwood Canyon? That's probably the best. Yeah, that's the... We pile into a sturdy white van and begin the steep and curvy climb up to Redwood Canyon. The sun is out, and we have a clear and breathtaking view of the mountain range ahead of us. McKay explains that before the Tubbs fire in 2017, he and some other members of the council were planning a controlled burn in some areas of Pepperwood. So we're at the, well, would this be the top, I guess, huh? The the top of Redwood Canyon. And... Um, we're about to enter the area where, um, where that scheduled controlled burn was to happen last year. And so what we had wanted to do is clear out some of the duff, some of the unwanted um, fir trees that have been taken over this, this black oak grove. Majestic black oaks dominate the burned landscape. We begin ascending the slope, where McKay points out new life emerging literally from the ashes. So this whole area in here, from here all the way up, was just like, there was at least a foot or a foot and a half of just duff, I call it. And uh, you couldn't see anything between that and the, and the poison oak. It was hard to even be able to walk through here. And now that that fire's coming, and uh, burned all that, all that duff and all that stuff off, you have a chance to get back down to the soil. Oak tree seedlings are beginning to take root where they couldn't before because of the poison oak, weeds, and bushes that had taken over. If you were here a couple of months ago, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't look like this. And that's actually what we were talking about this morning. Lucy was saying, you know, you folks are probably one of the last people that are going to get to come here that can really tell Wow, something really happened here. 
As we walk along, he points out plants meant for medicinal purposes and food. So we take the, it comes in a bulb, and you pound that bulb up, and you throw it in a pool, like in the creek or something. And it takes all the oxygen out of the water, so the, it's not really poison, but that's what we call it. And all the fish come floating up to the top, and you just scoop them up. Soap root, miner's lettuce, and wild potatoes are all growing in this area because that brush is gone, and that's a good thing. Uncontrolled fire threatens this habitat, and that's why McKay is trying to teach non-native people that some fire is a good thing, but it hasn't been easy. He tells me about a meeting he and Pepperwood staff had with the surrounding community about how bad fire suppression was. It didn't go over really well. And everybody came up and they were just, you know, totally against fire. And they were like, no, 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 you guys can't burn there. It's going to get away and this is going to happen and it's going to be, you know, terrible. We're going to have this big, big raging wildfire. I think we had scheduled like, I don't know, it was like a 10 acre burn or something like that the first time. And, and by the time that meeting was over and the presentations that, that we gave and, uh, from a native perspective and then Cal Fire from their perspective, actually when the folks left the meeting that night, they were asking us how come we were only burning 10 acres? How come we weren't going to burn more? McKay says that we, us humans, are part of the land. We shouldn't just be leaving it alone. That sentiment flies in the face of environmental activists who want to leave nature unspoiled. This leave-the-land-alone philosophy dates back to John Muir, best known as the father of modern environmentalism. Ben Benson, one of the staff at Pepperwood, broke it down for us on our drive from Redwood Canyon back to the main parking lot of the preserve. One of his biggest mistakes was not listening to Indian people. Benson says that Muir's influence is deep, and it's going to take a lot of time for people to realize that Native practices must be included when you're talking about taking care of the land. And as a result, what happened was all of American environmentalism, not just California environmentalism, got skewed in this, in this direction because he was so powerful and so influential. And he was deemed, you know, so radical at the time, but he missed something that was foundational. And I think that that's where the road, you know, just completely uh, veered uh, in some ways that were unhealthy for, for the habitat. Others, like the California Chaparral Institute, believe that prescribed burns can do more harm than good. They point to what they call, quote, fire management practices on incomplete records from prehistory as a rationale for not heeding Native people's calls to burn. Clint isn't surprised by this when we bring it up. You know, it wasn't made to be to be hands off. I mean, we're here to try and help, you know, support this 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 environment, this habitat um, the best way we can. And again, everything in our way is reciprocal. Recent fire science research is also validating native fire and land stewardship practices. In addition to the work of other researchers, the U.S. Forest Service has also come to understand that forests need fire to remain healthy. But it's also problematic that homes are being built right up to the forest boundaries. It's worth noting that none of the people we spoke with promised that burning would prevent big fires. It's just that they'll lessen the severity of them. Clearing the dry brush and overgrown smaller trees and bushes is the native fire manager's goal. It's also the goal of other California Indian tribes. 
Six hours north of Santa Rosa are the Trinity Alps. This is Yurok country, and that's where we meet Margot Robbins and her nephew, Rick O'Rourke. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hi, I'm Deb. Nice to meet you. I'm Rick O'Rourke. I'm uh, with the Cultural Fire Management Council, too. Robbins is the leader of the Indigenous Peoples Burn Network. It's a nonprofit that wants to revitalize cultural burns in Native communities, while at the same time revitalizing culture. It's restoring the use of fire in ceremonies and training tribal members how to safely conduct cultural controlled burns. Um, so we have been uh, burning for about five years now. The consequences of not burning can have very serious effects on the Yurok culture, as Robbins points out. The thing that came out as a number one priority for our community was to bring fire back to the land. Um, the land is choked out with brush because of the fire exclusion policy by the um, government. And um, equally important is that we are basket weavers. Yurok's are known for their basketry world, o- world over. And um, the base of our baskets is hazel. And in order for hazel to be used as a basket material, it has to be burned the year before. Um, And we hadn't had sticks for a long, long time. And people, the the, um, art of basketry was really starting to decline. If you see one, point it out. We're actually uh, getting a lots of flowers coming in now. The little wild irises that we'll see here pretty soon. Um, we actually- the mountains leading to the town of Weechpec in Yurok country are some of the most beautiful and treacherous peaks in the West. The slopes are nearly vertical in some places, carved by the mighty Klamath River and its tributaries. The Hoopa, Karuk, and Wintu people also call this region home. It's here that Rick O'Rourke has seen a resurgence of animals and plants that haven't been around for a while. He takes us to one spot about 15 miles away from the tribal center to show us where he's been burning. He's really proud. So we use it as the sharpest tool in our shed to manage our wildlands. And I think that the uh, national standard is shifting from suppression and going to start moving towards uh, prevention, I hope. Cal fires, uh, like Margo said, that uh, Cal fire is extremely behind us. Margo Robbins echoes what Clint McKay said at Pepperwood, that for thousands of years, Native people used fire to manage the land until the Europeans came and didn't understand. It's really gratifying for her to see animals coming back. Up the road in Orleans, Frank Lake is seeing the same thing. Oh, there's probably about 700 people, 700 to 800 within a 20, 30 mile stretch. So usually when you talk about Orleans, it's Orleans, Soma's Bar, and Soma's Bar is about eight miles upriver. Um, as you get Lake is a Karuk descendant who grew up in Northwest California. He knows these mountains and valleys intimately. He uses his community's accumulated knowledge of more than 10,000 years of living and thriving here and his work as an ecologist with the Forest Service, stationed at Six Rivers National Forest. Came to work for the Hoopaw tribe for a while to be culturally closer to this area, which is just to the south, about 20 miles. And there was a big fire there in 1999, and that helped me kind of really think, well, if we're going to restore salmon, I have to understand fire. 
Lake is a wiry man who moves and talks at a rapid pace. He's wearing a crocheted cap with a geometric basketry pattern under his regulation hard hat. He's also wearing field gear and heavy boots. His office is cluttered with maps, printouts, books, and various other tools of the biologist trade. The Karuk have used fire to maintain their lands, including providing room for important food and medicinal plants to grow. To show us exactly what he means, Lake takes us to a burn site outside of town on what's laughingly called the main road. We drive for about five minutes where he directs us to park on a small pullout. And this is a mixed forest type. It's the Douglas fir, tan oak, and madrone uh, with a predominantly a huckleberry, evergreen huckleberry understory uh, with other shrubs such as thimbleberry and there's some black cap raspberries in here. Above us, the land slopes upward. Here is where Lake and his crew conducted a demonstration burn two years ago. There's open space between the tan oaks and a few other large trees. And so this area um, for that forest type, this was prescribed burn to about two years ago in late September 2016. And essentially what we're looking at is a regrowth of a former prescribed burn or recent prescribed burn. And we're going to be looking at the recovery of this site from a kind of ecological and cultural perspective. Lake uses his indigenous knowledge and his training as a biologist to convince the surrounding community and those from the Forest Service that fire isn't just important for indigenous people here, but it's important for everybody. Even by reinstating fire back in here, we're nudging this particular area and other parts of the landscape that we're doing treatments in that promote those drought-tolerant fire-adapted species. And oh, if the tribe has over, you know, 80% of their cultural dependencies on those drought-tolerant fire-adapted species and you promote those, then you're meeting not only resistance and resilience of the ecosystem, but you're also promoting that within the very species of that ecosystem that the tribal community is using and relying upon. Mm -hmm. And that also promotes cultural resiliency. But what happens when big fires do come through? That's where a program like Follow the Smoke comes in. We meet Alice Lincoln Cook, who is Karuk and the vice president of the California Indian Basket Weavers Association. She's the owner. Yeah, she is. Are you Alice? I am. Hi, I'm Allison. Uh, nice, to meet you. nice to meet you. I see you have a... Nope, no more. She's very excited. That's my she started Follow the Smoke, a program that helps weavers like herself... She lives in the town of Klamath, California. It's in the heart of Yurok country. Their lands lie along the Klamath River, from Wichpec to its confluence with the Pacific Ocean at Requa. In the middle of town is a small storefront called the Booknook, which Lincoln Cook runs. So our goal with following the smoke is to be able to um, work with the national parks, state parks, BLM, Forest Service, all the small ranger districts, so we can go out there with a permit or hand or show our tribal ID and be able to gather at all these different places without having any issues. She's talking about gathering materials for her baskets, which decorate the walls of the store. Lincoln Cook knows the danger of huge fires. She and her family survived the fire siege of 1987, which ravaged the area. I mean, at my grandfather's house, you could the, the heat and the fire that you could see around there was so scary to see. Um, you couldn't see the roads in front of you. It didn't matter if you had your headlights on. You could not see. That's how bad the smoke was there. And these roads were one-lane roads. Lincoln Cook's family took action. They clear the land around their homes every year. 
and sprinklers are placed to wet the ground in case of another fire. It's also made her cognizant of what cultural burn managers are working to accomplish. That's why we're hoping for more of controlled fires rather than disaster fires of that sort, because those are, those are pretty hard to take when they're taking lives and homes and stuff like that. Driving back to Santa Rosa, that message is loud and clear, as Deborah Kroll explains. It's managing land. It's understanding how things work and, and knowing our place in our land that was given to us, our task that was given to us by Creator. Skeletons of coniferous trees are beginning to appear along Mark West Springs Road, where the fire was fought to a standstill, at least this fire. Caring for the basketry plants, ensuring that all of our four-legged and, and, and furry, furry and feathered brothers and sisters can live too because, you know, we're doing this, we're doing this because the earth needs to be healed. For indigenous people like Deborah Kroll, Clint McKay, Alice Lincoln Cook, and Frank Lake, it's clear that their work as fire practitioners is far from over. They wonder, how many more homes will be burned and lives will be lost? How long will it take for the most recent inhabitants of the West to catch up to what Native people have known all along? That we need fire to cleanse the land and save it. For Living Downstream, I'm Allison Herrera. Allison Herrera and Deborah Utasia Kroll reported and produced this episode of Living Downstream. Engineering support from Anthony Garcia. The Living Downstream theme music was written by David Schulman. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. Darren Lachelle is the executive producer, and the president and CEO of Northern California Public Media is Nancy Dobbs. Subscribe to Living Downstream on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org living. And if you see environmental injustice in your community, write to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org.